Hey friend, welcome to Grounded, the vestibular podcast. I'm Dr. Madison Oak, aka the Vertigo Doctor. I am the vestibular physical therapist who is here to help you with all things dizziness, imbalance, and vertigo. In this podcast, we explore the fascinating world of vestibular disorders. Come with me as we dive headfirst into a journey to discover the mysteries of the brain, the inner ear, and the balance mechanisms that keep us grounded. Whether you've been managing dizziness for one day or 25 years, we're going to get real about what it takes to manage dizziness, handle the anxiety cycle, and thrive, not just survive, with your vestibular disorder. First, I want to remind you that this is never medical advice. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be the best fit for you and your personal situation. It shall not be construed as medical advice. The information and education provided here is not intended or implied to supplement or replace professional medical treatment advice and or diagnosis. Always check with your own physician, medical professionals, and healthcare team before trying or implementing any information found here. Meet me in your coziest chair while we navigate the highs and lows, the twists and turns of the vestibular universe. Welcome to Grounded. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Grounded. This is a solo episode, just me, just Dr. Madison today. I have a couple of like really frequently asked FAQs. Some of them are personal to me. Some of them are about BPPV. Some of them are about vestibular migraine. And that is what we are going to be talking about today because I get these all the time in my Q&A box on Instagram. But I just don't think that 60 seconds or 90 seconds on a reel is enough to do these ones justice. So let's get started. The first question, we're going to dive right into a vestibular one, is can nystagmus happen with vestibular migraine or is it always BPPV? Hot question, honestly. So nystagmus, the definition of nystagmus is involuntary eye movement. So this is eye movement that you cannot help. This is not your fault. There's nothing you've done to deserve this or have this, but this is nystagmus that's coming from somewhere. And it's either going to come from your peripheral vestibular system or from your brain and spinal cord. So you can have central nystagmus, meaning brain and spinal cord nystagmus. If you want more information about central vestibular disorders, hop on to the podcast episode about central vestibular disorders. and You can learn more about those there. And If you want to know more about peripheral vestibular disorders, which also cause nystagmus, hop on to the peripheral vestibular disorders podcast episode. So that's the first thing. The second thing, can nystagmus happen from vestibular migraine? The short answer to that is yes, absolutely. But nystagmus can also happen for a lot of other reasons. People who have MS, multiple sclerosis, have nystagmus. People who have benign paroxysmal positional vertigo have nystagmus. People who have Meniere's disease, nystagmus. Neuritis, nystagmus. So the type of nystagmus oftentimes tells us which type of vestibular disorder you have, the duration of the nystagmus, how it presents, is it positional, things like that. Now, this specific question is about nystagmus in benign paroxysmal positional vertigo or BPPV. And that type of nystagmus is peripheral. And all that means is that it's coming from the inner ear itself rather than the brain and spinal cord. 
And that is what everyone calls the ear crystals problem. The ear, I have, I have crystals in my ears. We all have crystals in our ears. They're supposed to be there. But when your crystals go out of place, that's when we get some issues. So that type of problem is definitely going to cause nystagmus because we, we lay back into a position, we get positional vertigo, there's BPPV, right? That's what it is. And if it, your eyes turn in a very specific way, which we will cover in a BPPV podcast, I promise it's coming in January. When we think about that, we need to consider the direction of the nystagmus and the length of duration of the nystagmus. So if you have BPPV, because this question again is just about BPPV and vestibular migraine, it will be delayed when you lay back. So if you lay your head back into that test position for the Epley maneuver, so the Dix Hall Pike, which is the test position, or you roll your head in a roll test for the horizontal canal, whatever that looks like for you, if you have a delayed onset, dizziness, vertigo, mostly vertigo, you're looking for the room spinning, it will be delayed five to 10 seconds, and then it will last from 15 to 60 seconds. So those are the two big factors that you're looking for when you're looking for BPPV on yourself. Of course, there's other factors that your provider will be looking at and things like that, like the direction of the nystagmus, stuff like that. If you have vestibular migraine and you're getting positional symptoms and the Epley maneuver just is not working or the roll test is not working, whatever maneuver you're doing isn't working, it's often because it's not actually BPPV and you actually have positional vertigo coming from a neurological issue that can present just like BPPV. So here's what I would do. I've had BPPV before. I do not have vestibular migraine, but I've had BPPV. If when I laid back, I was like, oh, there's my BPPV. I'm a vestibular therapist. I know exactly what to do, right? I laid back. I was like, okay, I need to treat this. I laid back, head to the right, right posterior canal, BPPV. I regret every day I didn't record my eyes. And then I just rolled myself into the Epley it went away. Now I know it's BPPV because I did one single Epley maneuver and it was gone. It never came back. I laid back down in bed. I was all good. I just went to sleep. Next morning, woke up, no problems. Okay, great. Haven't had it since. That isn't everyone's experience, but I know that. With vestibular migraine, you will do an Epley or a roll maneuver or whatever, and you will have oftentimes identical to BPPV nystagmus, sometimes other types or directions of nystagmus. And those maneuvers just aren't working. And that's what I say, okay, this might be vestibular migraine and you need to be referred to a headache specialist. Even if you don't have head pain, even if you don't have face pain, even if you don't have face pressure, you can still have vestibular migraine. So that's a time where you're like, okay, I am going to go see a headache specialist to rule that out because I'm having this weird spinning sensation, this weird spinning attacks. So to answer the question, can nystagmus happen with vestibular migraine? Yes, absolutely. Is it always BPPV? Definitely not. There are lots of reasons for nystagmus. So hopefully that helps. If you have more questions, please let me know. Number two, what is my, Dr. Madison's, morning routine? Okay, so I'm a chaotic human. I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a very chaotic human. I think a lot of people think I'm like incredibly organized. Like, how do you get all this stuff done? I honestly don't know. I'm a chaotic person. It's the way my brain works. My ADHD, I always say, is like on fire. I don't have the hyperactive part. I just have the attention deficit part. So 
There are, I'm like 150,000 tabs open, seven different screens on my computer. I swipe back and forth. I do seven things at once. I'm not saying it's good for me. I'm just saying this is what I do. Okay, but this is my morning routine. I get up at 5 a.m. I do not get up, fi- up at 5 a.m. to brag about it. I get up at 5 a.m., which is honestly dumb, to work out at 6. Because if I do not exercise at 6 a.m., I will not exercise. I have tried every other time on the face of the earth. I work for myself, so I really could go and make it anytime I want. But truly, I hate it any other time at 6 a.m. At 6 a.m., I love a workout. But if I see someone leaving the gym that I am walking into, there's something with that mindset that it's like, I could have been done earlier. And so I just can't do it. So I get up at five and between five and six, I get up, get dressed, brush my teeth, scrape my tongue, take my levothyroxine. I have Hashimoto's disease. I go to the kitchen after like brush my teeth and whatever. I go to the kitchen. And if you have Hashimoto's, you take leave of thyroxine, you have to take it on an empty stomach and wait for an hour before you can do anything. So I wait for an hour, obviously, before I eat anything, but I go to the kitchen and I make my like morning drink, which is water, lemon juice, creatine, AG1 lately, sometimes amino acids. And I just shake it all up and put it in a water bottle and then save it for later. Then I pack my lunch. Oftentimes I pack leftovers from the night before. I already have it packed up. I drink my iced coffee. I refuse to drink hot coffee. I don't like hot flavored water. I think it's gross. Don't at me. I know everyone loves soup except for me. I have coffee that D, my husband, had made the day before. I pour it in a cup. I put it in the fridge. That's how I drink iced coffee, okay? I know you coffee connoisseurs might be like, that is ridiculous. That's what I do. Okay, I put protein in my coffee. I put a little bit of milk in there. I shake it up. I put it in my lunchbox. I am all dressed, ready to go to the gym. I have my gym bag packed. I shower at the gym. I got all my things packed. And by 524, I am out the door. I drive to the gym. It takes me like 15, 20 minutes. I honestly usually sit in my car and scroll through Instagram, which is something that I'm working on. I'm trying to be less of scrolling. I'm trying to like use that time better. I'm trying to maybe like meditate or something. I don't know. I am working on meditation. It's something that I'm trying to add to my routine. Then I do my workout from 6 to 6.50-ish. I grab my gym bag, go upstairs, take a shower, get ready for work. And then I drive the like three minutes from my gym to my office in town. And by 7.30, usually I'm sitting at my desk working. (laughs) And then I work and work and work and work. One thing I forgot to say, at that 5 a.m. time, I switch on every single one of my lights because the the sun is never up. I flip on every single one of my lights and I have one of those like light boxes that releases a bunch of blue light into your eyes because that's what you're supposed to do if you wake up before the sun or if you live in a place where the sun doesn't really rise. That is what to do. So that is my morning routine. On the weekends, I tend to sleep probably an hour more to like I don't know, six or seven. I try not to sleep in. I try not to change my schedule at all. I go to sleep at 8 p.m., 8.30, I'm not 8 p.m. I'm usually like getting ready for bed or like 8.30, 8.45 is my preference. In bed by nine, usually asleep by 9, 20, 9.30. So I, I do go to bed early. I'm not fun at night. I'm, I used to be a night person. Dr. Jenna taught me to go to sleep early and I will never go back, honestly. So that is me. That is my morning routine. On the weekends, 
again, I will sleep. I will go a little bit off, but I really try to be consistent about it. I will say I'm more consistent during ski season because I am up to get like ready breakfast, go for a walk, hopefully go for a walk, my husband or our dog, and then go skiing for the day. So I'm, I'm kind of consistent. I love a crock pot meal. I love meal prep. I love hard boiled eggs at the beginning of the week that I can just like throw in my lunchbox. I try to just make my life as easy as humanly possible all the time. Work smarter, not harder. I've got a lot of things to do running the vertigo doctor, which I love, but again, it can be a lot. So making your life as easy as humanly possible. If it was an ideal situation for me, let's say I didn't have Hashimoto's and I could eat right when I got up and all these other things, I would wake up, get out of bed, go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, whatever, do morning face wash routine. And then I would go eat a bunch of protein because 30 to 20 to 30 grams of protein first thing in the morning is like fantastic for you. And then I would go work out and then I would come back home and eat breakfast, go for a walk, whatever. But I, it's not my life. That's okay. So I like my morning routine. Let me know what yours is. DM me. I would love to hear about yours. Okay. Can vestibular migraine be constant daily symptoms? Short answer, yes. Long answer, let's talk about the phases of migraine. So migraine is a neurological disorder that you live with 24-7. Once you have migraine, you have migraine. It's there all the time. It's sort of like asthma, where you have asthma always, but you have asthma attacks, and those are big flares, right? That's when people need to go to the hospital or need to use a nebulizer or something like that. So asthma, or maybe you need an inhaler, whatever the medication that works for you. If you have asthma is, you use that. Hopefully it will help the attack, help the flare, things like that. Different things can trigger asthma attacks. As we know, if you get sick or uh, some people have like exercise-induced asthma attacks, some people have, and I am by no means an asthma expert. My brother had it when he was a kid and he has since gone into remission slash like grown out of it. So this is like what I know, but I think it's a good comparison. So it's just like that. Vestibular migraine is on the spectrum of migraine because migraine is a spectrum disorder for two reasons. The first reason migraine is spectrum disorder is because you can have different frequencies and intensities of migraine. So for some people, a migraine attack might happen every single day. For some people, a migraine attack might happen once a year and everywhere in between. And so that is the frequency of how often you're having a migraine attack, and that is on the migraine spectrum. Migraine spectrum is also the symptoms that you have. So people can have ocular migraine. Some people have migraine with aura. Some people have migraine without aura. Some people have migraine that has head pain. Some people have migraine that doesn't have head pain, but migraine is a neuro complex neurological disorder. It's not just a headache. It is so much more than that. So something to note on that is that it's important to know kind of where you are on that spectrum. And if you're not really sure, it's important to remember that getting to a headache specialist and someone who really knows about migraine is super important. Okay, so other than that, we also want to consider how what like phases of attacks you're having. So if you're having an attack that's lasting more than 72 hours, that can often be considered status migranosis. And that migraine, you either need to have a plan with your doctor about what to do when that happens. Maybe you need uh, an IV drip, maybe you need to go to the IED, maybe they need to prescribe you a steroid taper. It's really going to depend on the person. And so if that is you, definitely talking to your doctor about like, hey, what's going on here? I have been having a migraine attack that's like 
a single attack, not multiple attacks day after another. I mean, that's a different issue, but this is like an attack that's lasting this long. What are we going to do about it? And your doctor headache specialist preferably is going to have a plan for that. If you are having attacks every single day, you're like, I wake up, I have an attack, I go through all the phases and then I go to sleep, I sleep it off and then I wake up and like it's 9am and I'm having an attack again. That is daily migraine or daily migraine attacks. And when we're thinking about that, that can also be chronic symptoms. But we can also have a vestibular migraine attack that's happening on Monday and you're still having symptoms on like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday, you're having an attack again. And I want to talk to you about the phases of migraine because I think this will be helpful. There are five distinct phases of migraine and not everyone has all of them, but if you had all of them, you would have five. So the first phase is your prodrome phase, P-R-O-D-R-O-M-E, prodrome. And that is like the before phase. And most people, not everyone, I think it's between like 60 and 75% of people have prodrome. Not everyone, but a lot of people do. And these symptoms are like strange symptoms that you're like, I didn't even know that could be a prodrome symptom. And if you Google prodrome, prodrome for schizophrenia will usually pop up before prodrome for migraine, even though migraine is so much more common. So just Google prodrome migraine. It can be things like increased urination frequency. It can be mood swings and irritability. It can be food cravings. It can be so many different things. It literally, like it runs the gamut. So knowing what's happening in your body before the attack is happening is so, so, so important and kind of cool. So if you can know, hey, I have increased urinary frequency and then I have an attack, that's really good information to have because that's the beginning of your migraine attack. And that's actually the best time to treat a migraine attack. Now, the next phase is aura. And some people have aura that is shorter. Some people have prolonged aura. That's just something to know about your body because it inhibits you from taking different medications. But depending on if you have really prolonged auras, but an aura will usually last like 45-ish to an hour max uh, as a duration. And in that duration, people will have either visual or motor or sensory uh, symptoms. So the visual aura that most people think of is like, I see like blurry or visual snow or rainbows, like a uh, rainbow aura, or uh, I have like zigzags in my vision, or I have, let's see, tingling in my arms or my face, or I am having like weakness on one side of my body. It really, really can be a lot of different things for aura as well. So okay, I've been, I'm, went through my prodrome. Now I'm having aura. Only about a third of people with migraine have aura. So it's actually less common than, than not than having it. No, having it is less common than not having it. Okay. After that, you'll have the attack phase. Now, most literature will call this the headache phase, but I don't like to call it the headache phase because a lot of my patients do not have headache. You do not need head pain in order to have a migraine diagnosis. So you get into the attack phase, and this is typically when symptoms are worst, worst for people. And again, everyone's going to be different. Everyone's going to look different. But it's this is typically, if you have vestibular migraine, this is when the symptoms are going to be the worst. So if you are having like really severe imbalance, sometimes you might have 
room spinning vertigo. This is where this vertigo sometimes comes into play with nystagmus. The worst of your symptoms are there, the bulk of them. And this can last for a long time. So like the prodrome can last one to two days or a shorter. An attack can last like a day, day and a half, even two days. If it's up to that 72 hour mark, that's when, hey, I really need to be seeing my doctor to break this attack. And then you have postdrome. Postdrome is the day after the attack or like the hours after the attack. And that is like a hangover. There are There is a small subset of people that say like, this is when I feel like a new human. Like I've never felt so fantastic. I love the way I feel after um, a migraine attack is over. They feel like a new person, but the general majority of people feel like they have a hangover. And this can last a day, day and a half, even two days for some people. And again, everyone's going to look different. This is handled differently for each person. Of course, supporting your body. What does my body need in this moment is always the best question to ask yourself. But if you go through all of that and it takes a couple days and then by the time you're done with your post-drome, you don't have something called interictal, which is the in-between phase of migraine. So you can have interictal symptoms or you can have no symptoms during interictal. It's totally person dependent. So it should go prodrome, aura, attack, post-drome, interictal. And that's the in-between time. If you don't, some people can just skip over interictal and go immediately back into their prodrome. And so that's another way that you can also have constant vestibular migraine symptoms. But the last thing I want to mention is interictal symptoms, which can be light sensitivity, general sound sensitivity, sometimes like an internal feeling of rocking and swaying, bobbing, things like that. So this is where it gets a little bit hairy with triple PD, which we're not going to talk about today. We just did a coaching call in vestibular group fit about the differences of triple PD and vestibular migraine. We're not going to go there today. But vestibular migraine can also just have people living with vestibular migraine can also have symptoms in between attacks in the interictal phase that are like vestibular type symptoms. So all that to say, vestibular migraine can indeed be constant daily symptoms. Okay, next question. These last two are both about me. I guess it kind of went out of order. Am I still cold plunging? So I've been cold plunging in the river and I love it. I think that when the riverbank becomes really snowy that I probably will stop because getting out of the river and walking through snow and putting on like my wet feet into boots sounds terrible. Maybe I will find a way to do this differently. I'm not really sure yet, but when it gets really snowy on the ground, which is not when I'm recording this, uh, probably will stop, but I do want to go this week. I've also been sauna bagging, which I've been loving. I'm like a toxins human. I've been sharing more about this journey on Instagram and stuff. And maybe I should do, let me know if you guys want to hear a whole episode of the things I've been doing, like my journey with this. But I think that like sweating is such a great way to release toxins. And so I just love sweating in general. And because I wake up so early in the morning and work out so early in the morning, I usually don't sweat that much because usually freaking freezing in there. So everyone thinks it's hot. I always think it's cold. I don't have very good blood circulation. Anyway, that's a lot about me. So I am still trying to cold plunge. I love the cold plunge. I would really love to have a cold plunge in my house, but we live in a condo and I'm not about to flood my condo. And if I left it outside, I live in Jackson, Wyoming, and it's freaking cold. And so it's probably going to freeze. Maybe one day I'll have a garage and I'll put it in there. All right. And the last one for today is why am I a vestibular therapist? 
This is a really fun question that I think, I think a lot of people think that I have a vestibular disorder, so I'm a vestibular therapist, but I want to clear the air. I will never lie about this. I don't have a vestibular disorder. I've had BPPV once. I realize it could definitely come back again. I actually have an expectation that it will, but I don't have a vestibular disorder. I have Hashimoto's disease, which is a thyroid dysfunction issue, which I'm working really hard on um, managing better than I normally do. So it's a journey. As you know, chronic illness is a journey. So why I'm a vestibular therapist. I have known that I wanted to be a physical therapist since junior year of high school. And this is in my like about me episode. So if you want to go listen to that, go listen to that. You can learn more about me. But I'm a vestibular therapist because in PT school, which again, I knew I was going to be a PT forever. I thought I'd do orthopedics. I was like, wow, shoulders love those. Now I'm like a shoulder. I don't freaking think so. Don't even want to see it. I am a physical therapist and I decided to be a vestibular therapist after I was going to be a pediatric physical therapist, which I also have such a love for. Like inpatient pediatrics was truly one of my first loves. Like I think it's the one of the best fields of physical therapy to be in, but it's really hard to find a job in because once people are there, they never leave. And so I was like, well, I guess I could just do vestibular therapy, which I learned about at a clinical until I can get a job at one of these hospitals. And then newsflash, turns out I love doing vestibular therapy like so much more than I thought I did. I think it's probably the most rewarding, if not the second most rewarding after inpatient peds. I think they're probably tied of professions because the amount of progress that I can see someone make in vestibular rehab or honestly in vestibular group fit is absolutely unbeatable. Like people will go from not having left their house in 20 years to driving to town. And it's like, I obviously didn't put in the work to make this happen, but the fact that I can help someone achieve that is so, I can't even explain it to you how much I love this. Like it makes me so incredibly happy to be a vestibular therapist. So that's why I'm a vestibular PT. I legitimately love my job. I know some people might be like, how can she be this obsessed with the vestibular system? It's my whole personality. Like my friends joke about it. Like, oh, is this whatever? So I, yeah, I love being a vestibular physical therapist and I am one because I am obsessed with the vestibular system. I think it's so interesting. And I just love vestibular warriors. Like people who live with vestibular disorders are some of the most kind, compassionate, loving, fun human beings I've ever had the pleasure of getting to know. So I just really enjoy my job. I love being a vestibular PT. And I also love that I can run a group program for this because you can't do that for a lot of other things and get similar results, if not the same results as one-on-one therapy. So like that's where vestibular group fit came in um, to play because I just think that there are so many ways to go about managing a vestibular disorder and having a vestibular disorder can feel so isolating and so complex and so impossible. And everyone has been told like, you're the most complex patient I've ever seen. And it's like, that is so hard to hear because then it feels like I'm never going to get better, but there is so much hope. You can get better. You can feel better. You do not have to be dizzy and symptomatic every day for the rest of your life. Like these things get I cannot stress you enough, so much better. And that is my favorite part of my job. That's why I'm a vestibular PT. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I love you and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. Find me on Instagram at the vertigo doctor, Dr. Jenna at dizzy.rehab.therapist and the pod at grounded.vestibular.pod.
Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our channel wherever you get this podcast. And if you're interested in working with us, try Vestibular Group Fit, the affordable, comprehensive program that focuses on movement, mindset, support, and education to take you from frustrated and dizzy to feeling in control of your vestibular disorder. Use code GROUNDED at checkout for 10% off your first subscription. Or we can work together one-on-one in California, Virginia, Minnesota, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Wyoming, and Wisconsin. Your success.